this. If you have your Bibles, Acts 19 is where we are going to be and just continuing through this book of the Bible. And uh, so we're going to, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to take a little break over the next three weeks. But then on that fourth week, we're going to come right back uh, to Acts chapter 20 uh, and continue through the, the rest of the book. But um, as you're turning there, uh, something I, I'm certain that we can all relate to, we can all understand and that we've all either seen or been a part of or witnessed to is, is a little word called opposition. Opposition. It, it starts super early, uh, young in age. I, I, uh, we have got four kiddos and, and I, I'm sure I was the same way, but even as, a, as an infant, if you tried to feed me something that I didn't want or didn't like, I was in opposition, like early on, nobody had to teach me how to do that. Like, I'm opposed to what you're trying to do right now. Uh, we see that as we grew up a little bit, I had an older sister and I love my sister uh, and we're super close and, and love her, always have loved her. But there was some moments where I felt it was my responsibility as the younger brother to oppose her in, in various kind of ways growing up. Um, Growing up, playing uh, with toys like G.I. Joe, they're the good guys and they're the bad guys. And, and watching movies, there was typically a hero and there was a villain. Uh, opposing sides. Uh, growing up, uh, discovering and even learning what, what war was and, and, and seeing that, even just growing up, opposition. Is there all of us have probably seen, whether it's in a place that we've worked or even a school setting, or even friendships, relationships, that somewhere along the way, opposition has, has crept in. And I, I think all of us can, can, can agree that we can typically take opposition, and if we take it all the way back to its root, that, that typically there was, it's, it's some kind of sin issue, uh, whatever uh, application that might be like, that creates this, this disunity and this opposition. And and where we are picking up in, in Acts 19, in Ephesus, we are seeing a, a showdown of sorts uh, between two opposing kingdoms. And by the way, these kingdoms that we're going to be studying about, these kingdoms are as present and real today in our time as they were then. And those opposing kingdoms are the kingdom of God and the domain of darkness, as the Bible says. Paul wrote a letter to the Colossians and he said this in Colossians 1.13, speaking of those in Christ, those who have received Christ, he says that he, God, has delivered us, Paul says, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. And so we see that there are these two kingdoms and and. And the reality is, is every single one of us are living in wonder under the rule and reign of one of these two kingdoms, the kingdom of God or the domain of darkness. Paul would later write to the church in, in Ephesus a letter called Ephesians. And he says this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, speaking to the church. He said, in which he once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That is the enemy. He's not a king, but he's a prince. He, has, he, can, he can influence and he has, he has command of, of demons. There is a, a spiritual war that, that, that is real and that is uh, at times tangible. And 
probably all of us can, can testify to experiencing that spiritual battle in a very real way. He says this, he says that, that, uh, that you once were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The kingdom of God, the domain of darkness. Either a child of wrath or a child of the king. There are two classifications that we see in Scripture. In verse 4, Paul says, But God, being rich in mercy, and praise God for His mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And so he, he's, he's kind of laying out this reality that there is the kingdom of God and there is the domain of darkness. King Jesus is the sovereign ruler. He is, there is no power that competes with His. And, and yet he, he is over, over this lesser power, this domain of darkness that we see. And, and all of us could probably testify to seeing evil in our world, experiencing evil in our world. Uh, we've been there. There have been times where it's been uh, a little more tangible than, than other times in, in my life. I, I think back just a few years back, I was, uh, I was preaching in Haiti and we were doing a, a kind of like a crusade and we, we had a street there in the city and, and we were preaching, uh, preaching the gospel and then, then in the middle of that sermon, we just heard these loud drums beating and we heard uh, screams and people wailing. And then we saw coming down the city, this kind of mass of people that were all painted up. And, and, and somebody was like, I was like, you know, what's going on? And, and it, was a, it was a voodoo parade. It, 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 we don't necessarily see voodoo parades happening, but there are times when we can all testify where we sense that, that the enemy as it, is at work in the spiritual war that we live in. And, and so today in Ephesus, we are going to see, it's a wild passage of Scripture, but we are seeing the, the kingdom of God in the domain of darkness, and there is a battle that is going on over the souls of the people. And so Ephesus is where it's happening. Ephesus, this is the, the kind of the... The, the middle of Paul's third missionary journey. He landed in Ephesus. This was his second time back. He had been there before. They were hungry for the word. He said, if it's God's will, I'll be back. He's back. And he sets up shop there for somewhere in the neighborhood of three years. And, and so Ephesus is a major city. It's one of the five largest cities of the Roman Empire. It was, the, it was a, a, lots of commerce happening. Uh, there, it was known as the marketplace of, of Asia Minor. And so it was, this, it, was a, it was a major center for lots of activity, but it was also a, a major uh, home to, uh, to demonic activity. It's spiritual forces at work in this place. A.T. Robertson said this about Ephesus. He said, here in Ephesus, exorcists and other magicians had built an enormous vogue of false spiritualism. And Paul would face unforeseen forces of evil. G. Campbell Morgan describes Ephesus this way. He says, The atmosphere of the city was electric with sorcery and incantations with exorcists and all kinds of magical imposters. And so the city was, was in, in many ways overrun with, 
with occult worship and, and pagan worship and demonic oppression and people who were obsessed with demonology. It, there was, a, there was a, a lot going on there in that place that, that God called Paul to, to minister but in this passage that we read, we're going to see a revival take place. And here's what's encouraging to us as believers. Is that revival isn't contingent on outside factors. That, that it may be, uh, we kind of hear about Ephesus and it's kind of, we see the, the, the darkness, the, 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 the pagan worship. We see all this, like, all these things that aren't going right in this city. And we think, man, could God, could God do a work in that place? But the reality is, is that God can work anywhere and that revival is, is, is really up to the sovereign will of God. That revival is when in a tangible way, he manifests his presence at a time and place in a unique way. And we are going to see in a very unique way, that's exactly what happens and in, in, in when I grew up, maybe like many of you, I grew up uh, a church background and kind of growing up and, and we would have revival uh, services. And so what that meant was for probably three, four weeks in a row, we would have a guest preacher come in and, and no doubt had, had, a, had a, an anointing and a, and, a, and a gift of preaching the word and preaching the gospel. And, and he would come in and, and would preach and, 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 and by God's grace, people would respond, placing their faith and trust in Christ. People would take steps of obedience in their personal relationship with the Lord. Uh, believers would get right with the Lord. And, and you would just see this revival. That's revival is there was once life. And that life has kind of waned a little bit. And revival brings a fresh stirring to that life. And so revival is really for the life of the believer. I love what Adrian Rogers describes it as it's when God comes down. And so God is omnipresent. This is what makes God God. God is, God is, God is indescribable. He is omnipresent. But there are times and places, and we see it in Scripture, and perhaps you've experienced it in your life, where God chooses to manifest His presence in a powerful, intangible way. And it could be that you're here today, and you have had that time and point place in your life where you've accepted Jesus as the Lord of your life. But yet, if, if, if the question were asked, is your relationship with the Lord as, as fiery hot as it once was? Or has it waned a bit for whatever reason that you could possibly say, I, I need revival in my heart. I need revival in my life. What, what, does that, what does that look like? And again, the encouragement is it's not based on what's happening. You can be in a, in, a, in a city that is full of the occult, and yet you can experience revival with God. And so if you are desiring revival, we're going to look and see what realities are involved in revival by looking at this passage in Acts chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 10, and we're going to see that one of the realities of revival is that the gospel is faithfully proclaimed. The gospel is faithfully proclaimed. Look at verse 10. The Bible says, This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So what is this? This occurred for two years. Um, if, if we were to look at the, the verses just prior to, we would find that Paul for two years has, 
has, has really set up shop in what's known as the School of Tyrannus or the Hall of Tyrannus. Evidently, they were able to work out a deal where he was a teacher, philosopher, who had a school and had a classroom, and they worked it out to where Paul, for two years, would go into this Hall of Tyrannus, and he would, he would faithfully proclaim the gospel, he would faithfully preach the word, he faithfully trained up the disciples, he faithfully sent out worshipers to plant other churches and to be a part of God's work. And he kept doing it. This, the Bible says, he continued for two years. And that gospel movement spread all through that land. And so Paul is faithfully, faithfully proclaiming the gospel. We know that there was great, there was great uh, adversarial uh, opposition there. In that place, everywhere, everywhere Paul went, there was everywhere there's a work of God, there will be a work of the enemy. And he told us. He told us there were adversaries, but it didn't stop him. Like day in, day out, he was faithful. Day in, day out, he was faithful. I love what Eugene Peterson describes faithfulness, a long obedience in the same direction. And so for Paul, it was day in, day out, faithfully. No matter of circumstances, no matter if it was a tough day, no matter the, the adversarial opposition, he was faithful to proclaim the gospel. Now, now we're going to jump to verse 20 real quick. Because I think it, it provides almost like a, a sandwich for us in, in what we're going to be walking through today. But look at verse 20. It's a gospel sandwich. In verse 20 it says, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So the gospel is faithfully being proclaimed for the past two years in that city. And verse 20 says, And the word of the Lord continued to increase. And I love the word prevail. That the word prevailed. So what is this word of the Lord? The Old Testament scriptures were complete at that time. All the Old Testament scriptures, they all point to Jesus. They all point to the Messiah. And so Paul would reason from the scriptures that Christ is the Messiah. And not only that Christ was the Messiah, but Christ had come. And by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, there is salvation. That there is forgiveness of sin. That there is peace made with God. That He gifts us the Holy Spirit, His presence living in us, and to live on mission for Him and to live in uh, all eternity with Him. And so this word continued. And so what, what I, I say that to say as a gospel people and as a rescue people, we must devote ourselves to the word. We must soak our hearts in the word. We must be faithful in the word. Yes, God uses circumstances absolutely to, to get our attention and to teach us. He uses everything. He uses godly people to speak truth into our life or encouragement. God uses people. And yet God has chosen to gift us with his word. And this is his voice to us, to our lives. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, if we want revival, we must revive our reverence for the word. And the word has never been more accessible than it is today. If, 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 if we all went home and said, hey, let's run home real quick, grab every Bible you have in your house and bring it back here, who, I, who knows how many Bibles we would have? The Word of God's at our fingertips. Now, I mean, you got a phone, you can get apps. I have a Bible app on my phone that I can select a, a passage and I can press play and it'll read it to me. I can pick one of 17 different voices for it to read to me. Um, not only that is I can pick a background music 
to listen to uh, the word. Um, I can even pick piano and cello music to play under a South African accent reading the book of Acts. It's, it's amazing. Like, it's incredible. It's incredible how accessible this word is. God's word to us. God breathed. And yet the, the challenge for us is, do we revere the word? Do we saturate our hearts with the word? This is God's voice to us. Or do we allow things like busy schedules and, and conflicts and, and, and maybe next times and, and, and well, I'm just going to mess up again. Like all these different reasons. But, but listen, if we want to experience revival, we must saturate our hearts in the gospel. And we see the gospel is faithfully proclaimed. And revival is going to come. And as G. Campbell Morgan said, it can happen anywhere, even in a place electric with sorcery. Verse 11 says this, and it's about to get crazy in the Bible. All right, so prepare yourself. Verse 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. It's good to take a moment and just get our bearings on where, we at, where we're at in redemptive history. I mentioned the Old Testament is, is complete, canonized, authoritative. The New Testament is being lived out before. So the New Testament serves as the authoritative word of God. And so they're in this kind of in-between time where Paul's faithfully proclaiming the gospel. And in those days, in God's, God's good pleasure... That he would, he would manifest himself through the way of miracles in a sense that would serve to affirm his message and affirm his messenger. And that's what's happening here. What's happening here? This is a place that is electric with sorcery, uh, pagan worship, demon possession, even demonology. There's a lot going on here. And so God is going to take his affirmation up a notch. And he's going to meet them where they're at. And he's going to use sweatbands to do so. That word handkerchief, the literal word is sweatbands. And so Paul was a tent maker. For, for a good piece of his ministry, he was a bivocational pastor. He was a tent maker. And then he would bring the word on the Sabbath. And so he would wear a sweatband around his head as he worked. He would wear an apron as a tent maker. And he would, you know, no doubt work and kind of wipe his hands. And so... Uh, Literally, somebody got these sweatbands in his apron. And yet, God did a miraculous, extraordinary work. And it was all for the purpose of affirming that his gospel was true and to honor the messenger that would come. Verse 13, some, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord the Lord Jesus, over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. Now again, it's, it's, it can be hard to connect to because Ephesus and Olive Branch don't necessarily sound like, like the same place, but, but evil is present. The domain of darkness, the kingdom of God at work, and so, so here, this city is saturated with occult practices. 
It would not be strange for there to be exorcists. There were Jewish exorcists. That word means to cast out. And so no doubt these sons of Sceva were seeing what was going on and they saw the power that was in the name of Jesus. And they saw the power in the name of Jesus and you know what? They want to cash in on it. They want some of that action. Look at what, look at the power. Those exorcists, they would seek a, a higher power to cast out a, a lower power. And so they want to throw out the name of the Lord Jesus. But it is important to know that God will not be mocked and God will not be manipulated. And God is not a genie and God is not a lucky rabbit's foot. He's the sovereign Lord. And as Acts 4 says, He's the sovereign Lord, the maker of the heavens, the maker of the earth, the maker of the seas, and everything in them. God will not be mocked. Verse 15. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? <laughs> who, who are you? The demons know who Jesus is. The demons know who Paul are, but who, who are you? Who are these guys? You see, these guys wanted the power of God. They wanted the, the, the big stuff of God, but yet they had zero relationship with God. And the demons sniffed it out. They sniffed it out. They know. And so the Bible tells us, James says this in his letter, James 2, 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The demons know the power of God. They know their ultimate end will come. And yet they say, Jesus, I know Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And listen to this verse 16. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. It's okay to lie. I mean, I laughed. It, it sounds bizarre, right? I mean, imagine just being an onlooker all the time. You just hear a racket going on. And then all of a sudden these guys come out running out naked, beat up. And, and, and so uh, I heard uh, one, one pastor say about this. They're like, okay, if you're ever wondering who won the fight, if a guy starts with pants on and he ends with pants off, he probably did not win. All right, so, so, so. So, so this enemy overtook him. But listen, these guys, these sons of Sceva, they knew the power of God, but they did not have a personal relationship with God. And that's what makes all the difference in the world. Gospel power is experienced through a personal relationship with Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Demons tremble at the name of Jesus. The enemy, nor his... his uh, his demons, they, they all are subject to his authority and to his power. But listen, apart from a relationship with Jesus on your best day, no matter how hard you try or how much self-help you muster up to be like, I can win this battle, you can't win this battle. And here these, these sons of Sceva have been overtaken. And so the encouragement is, is do you want revival? Do I want revival? We must saturate our hearts with the gospel and invest in our personal relationship with him. And God is manifesting his power in a unique way. Verse 17 says, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus. I bet. <laughs> I bet word traveled fast. 
And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And listen to this, fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. These people had a fresh encounter with the power of God. They experienced the the power of God in a way that was just different than a normal day. And it got their attention. That perhaps you can testify there are those moments in our lives where maybe in a very clear and fresh way we are humbled when we understand that the sovereign Lord, the mighty God, creator of the universe, loves us. Loves us so much, made a way to ha- for us to have a relationship with Him. That we, can, that we can live in relationship with Him. That it humbles us. And, and this, this, this awareness of the presence of God and the power of God, it affected them to the point where life change happened. In verse 18, the Bible says that also many of those who were now believers, so these are believers that we're about to read about, also many of those who were now believers came and they were confessing and divulging their practices. By the way, revival is kindled through confession and repentance. You want to experience revival in your life? I want to experience revival in my life. Is there anything in, in our lives that, that, that don't honor the Lord? And, and when we repent of that sin, confess that sin, it's like putting, it's like putting kindling on the fire. And that fire revival comes and life change happens. It says that they were confessing and divulging their practices. Verse 19, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver, which in, in, in our day would basically be a multi-million dollar bonfire. That, that, that all of a sudden, for them, the, the, the cost of being right with the Lord and experiencing that refreshment with the Lord was worth more than these books that cost lots of money that are taking their time and their attention and their focus off of the Lord. And there is this massive bonfire that is happening. And what we see in the realities of revival is that when, when we surrender that we invite the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. Evidently, believers had begun dabbling a bit. Kind of like, can't you almost hear the rationalization? I'm just going to pick up these, I'm say magic books, because that's what we're reading about. I don't know how many of y'all have magic books, <laughs> but, but they got these magic books and they're like, eh, it's not that big of a deal. And they find themselves giving more time and more attention to this thing that's, that's taking their heart away from the Lord. And all of a sudden, maybe there's some rationalization. It might not be magic books for you, but it could be something else. It could be something under the secrecy and isolation that you found yourself allowing yourself to become involved in. Or... Is everything okay? <laughs> Man, all right, I'm going to try to be real still. <laughs> um, but, but no, it, it's, it, you know, it can become this, 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 this thing in our lives that we allow. Okay, maybe I should, should I swap to a mic? Okay. Sorry about that. Oh, 
amongst yourselves. I'll be right back. <laughs> All right. Okay. We're back. Sorry about that. Um, but basically, as, as, as believers, as we surrender our hearts to the Lord, and I believe that is the heart of, of every authentic believer, that the Holy Spirit will be faithful to reveal those areas in our lives that don't honor Him and to bring us back. In revival, rationalization stops. You don't, you don't try to try to figure out why it's okay or what makes it okay. It, 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 rationalization stops. In revival, the kindling is con- confession and repentance. And so what we see is this massive bonfire that is taking place as the people are getting right with the Lord. And so on that day in Ephesus, for those folks, enough was enough. Enough was enough. And they drew a circle figuratively around their self. I've, I've heard... Um, pastors talk about drawing. If you want to see revival, draw a circle around yourself and pray till it comes. And, and this idea that if revival is going to come, it's going to come through us individually as believers and then collectively as the body of Christ. But I want us to be encouraged that perhaps there are things in our lives that, that we have allowed. And the Holy Spirit is saying, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. He's the sovereign Lord. He's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of our praise. And so the bonfire was a big one. And I can't read this story. And I got to share the story with y'all. Uh, I can't read this story without thinking about 10 years ago, I was a youth pastor and we had a fire pit in the back of our home. And, and from time to time, we'd have the students over and we'd have fire pit nights and we'd hang out and, and all of that. And then, and then, so one of our students was a teenage girl and, and she came up to Amber and I one time and she was like, um, is it okay if I, if, if I, and I don't remember exactly how she worded it, but, but basically that I can come over and I can burn some things in your fire pit. And we're like, yeah, okay. Like what, what's going on? She's like, she said, the Holy spirit has convicted me. Um, uh, she loved the Lord. She really did. She had a heart for God. And, and if you were to go into a room and I, I'm not, I'm not judging, I'm not casting stones. I'm not, I'm just painting the picture. If you were to walk into a room, you would find wall to wall coverings in her wall of a certain, I'll just say musical artist. It was, a, it was a, it was a, it was a one individual, a guy. Um, and, and what had happened was she had just really become obsessed with this musical artist and CDs and, and, and clothes and all that stuff. And, and so she came up to us and she was like, the Holy Spirit has revealed to me that I have made this guy an idol in my life. And, and, and I would like to bring my stuff over to your house and, and burn it. <laughs> and we're like, okay, but here's what I love. I, I didn't, I didn't say to her, Hey, like, you know, maybe your priorities are off here. Like I saw your home and and all that, like, and her parents didn't make her take those things down. This was the Holy spirit got a hold of her heart and, and, and realized there is an idol that I have allowed in my life. And they came, we lit the fire and she threw it all in there and she wept and we prayed. And it was one of the most, uh, it was just a powerful time. But it was all traced back to, I've just allowed these things to take over. And I've taken God out of his rightful place as king 
sitting on the throne of my life. And so what happens after this revival and multi-million dollar bonfire and people getting right with the Lord? Verse 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. I love that. I love that. So, so where do we go from here? What, what, what does that look like? A couple of encouragements. Do you want revival? Do you want God to manifest his presence in your life in a fresh way, in a powerful way? I do. My hunch is every believer in the room does. You desire to have that fresh relationship, that fresh fire in living and serving the Lord. One is to be encouraged to repent. Repent. It's a biblical word. It's a word that carries a lot of meaning. It's a word that means you're going one direction and you stop and you go the other direction. It's a word that means you change your way of thinking about whatever that thing is. And perhaps it is time to repent. And perhaps it is time to change our way, the way we have thought about certain things. And perhaps, perhaps it's time to have a spiritual bonfire of sorts and to repent and turn. Second thing is this is to rest in the gospel. Hardly a week goes by that either I to myself or I to a, uh, you know, a, a brother, sister in Christ that, 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 that the importance of keeping the gospel in front of us is important because the gospel is the good news about Jesus. And so it is good news for the lost who are living apart from a relationship with him. But believer, it is good news for the believer every single day. Amen? I mean, it is, it is the good news. It is, it is the gospel. It's the good news because in Christ we are forgiven. In Christ we are forgiven. I'll never forget. I, was at a, I went to seminary Bible school and we had chapel services. And there was one chapel service that a buddy of mine just fell under deep conviction. And he, he went down to the altar to pray. And you could verbally, audibly hear him say, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And, and all I know is that one of the professors came by, put a hand on his shoulder, whispered in his ear, prayed over him, and then that was it. And he ended up saying, you know, what, what did the professor say? He said, you are. In other words, in Christ, you are forgiven. In Christ, you are forgiven. Confession is important. We repent, we confess that fellowship, but we are a forgiven people clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and so the good news is that we are forgiven. The good news is that Christ took our shame and our guilt for us. The good news is that in Christ, he has gifted us with the presence of his Holy Spirit. The good news is that nothing I've done, am doing, or will do, according to Romans 8, could ever separate me from the love of God. So if you need an encouraging word today, know this. There is nothing that you've done, nothing you are doing, or nothing you could ever do that could separate you from the love of God. Romans 8 is my favorite verse in the Bible, favorite chapter in the Bible. It's powerful. The good news, we need the gospel. Preach the gospel to your own heart every single day and rest in the gospel. Repent, rest, and a final thought is this, is prioritize your first love. Prioritize your prioritize your first love. Um, again, I mentioned to be revived. There, there was life and there is life, but that life is waning. To be revived is to bring a freshness to that life. Perhaps today you, 
you're, you're desiring a freshness in your relationship with the Lord, well, you can have it. And we can have it. And we have it by prioritizing our first love, our love for Jesus. Over in Revelation chapter 2. So if you want to join me, you can jump over there. Um, Revelation chapter 2, you will find letters to churches throughout Asia Minor. One of, one of those letters is to uh, the church at Ephesus, what we just read about in Acts 19. And I want us to listen to what God says to the church at Ephesus. In my Bible, the, the letters are read. It says this, Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 through 5 says this. God says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. I want to stop right there. These are all good things. These are all really good things. You've done good stuff. You don't put up with sin. You, you measure teaching according to God's word. You've endured. You've not grown weary. Good job. If, if uh, we had school just started back this week, report cards are a real thing. Those things come. Uh, if we're looking at the report card right now, it's like straight A's. But listen to what the Lord says, verse 4. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He says, I have this against you. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. You didn't lose it. You didn't lose that love. You left that love. And so as a believer, there is security in Christ. There's that security that we are in him and no one can snatch us from his hand. But there is a way to, to, to walk away from those areas of our life that we know the Lord is calling us to give to him and to surrender to him. And so this encouragement to prioritize your first love Vance Havner says this, revival is the church falling in love with Jesus Christ all over again. And so if you're here and you're like, I need revival. I know I need revival. I want revival. I'd love to see revival sweep through our city. Um, that, that's a desire. I love a, a freshness to my walk with the Lord. Like I want that. I long for that. I look for that. There is encouragement here. Remember, it can happen anywhere regardless of the circumstances. It doesn't matter if there is a, a, a swarm of pagan worship and occult practices and demonology and demon-possessed people. It doesn't matter who uh, leaders are, who, 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 who officials are, bosses are. Um, it doesn't matter um, what's going on around us. Revival can happen anywhere, anytime. But what we must do is we must stack the wood and pray in faith. And if we know that there is anything in our hearts that are honoring the Lord to repent and to confess and to rest in the gospel and to invest in that first love and enjoy relationship with the Lord.
enjoy relationship with the Lord. I bet that bonfire was something else. <laughs> and I don't, I, I, I think it was, I bet it was a group of believers that were experiencing just that, that relief and release of these things in their lives that they allowed to trickle in. And yet we see that the word of Lord continued to prevail in a mighty, mighty way. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It's a unique passage. Um, some, some very extraordinary things happening that, that you know, in our day here in, here in 2021 uh, seem pretty wild. But the reality is, is that there is, there are opposing forces and all of us find ourselves in one or, or the other camp. All of those who are in Christ live under the banner and rule and reign of God. And all of those apart from him, the Bible says, are children of wrath. And so God, as a rescued people, living under the rule and reign of you, King Jesus. God, would you awaken our hearts and stir our hearts in a fresh way, so much so that we would recognize you for who you are, the sovereign Lord, maker of the heavens, maker of the earth, maker of the seas, everything in them. May we be blown away by your gospel and your grace toward us. That, Father, if, if, if there are things in our life, habits in our life, activities in our life that we have allowed to creep in and have stolen our affection from you, God, that by faith and in the gift of your conviction, in your strength, God, we would, we would build a bonfire and we would throw it in. And we would rest in the victory that comes through you and you alone. And we would rest in the gospel and we would invest in our personal relationship with you. Father, I pray for the person who may be here, may be listening in online, who may not feel like a child of wrath. As a matter of fact, it, it may come across as offensive, but this is scripture. This is truth. And all believers, we were once children of wrath. But Father, you have made a way. And I pray above the, the noise of the offense and, and being perhaps even caught off guard, God, that they would be disarmed by your love and your grace for them. The fact that the sovereign Lord, God, you love them so much that you made a way for relationship where there was no way. That you yourself came, lived a perfect life, a life we could never live crucified on a cross that we all deserve and were placed in the tomb and resurrected from the dead. And that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is love for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So, Father, I pray if there's anybody here who is living apart from a relationship with you, that today would be the day of salvation. God, work in our hearts. 
May we be yielded to your Holy Spirit. Change us from the inside out for your glory, for your mission. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We're going to have a a song of response and and just want to create some space, a little space right here before we say amen and head out. But just to be sensitive to however the Lord might be dealing with your heart. And that can look a lot of different ways, but we just always want you to know the altar is open and you're welcome to come and pray. That if you're, if you would like a, a pastor to be like, man, can you pray over me? I got this going, whatever it might be, or you don't even have to say anything. You can just come up and just say, can you pray for me? Whatever it might be, whatever it might be, let's just give this time to the Lord and be sensitive to respond how he would desire us.